what the f*** you think is my opinion of it. I think it was f***ing Put that in. I don't... So the Tribe drops its third straight on this trip, 6-1 to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. It's a goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they want to ask is baseball going in the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And his team sucks. Randy is where he's out. Yes, Randy is out. Look at, look at this. Randy is out. And uh, David Mann. Well, I don't want to hear to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. This can run cleaner than any baseball business ever put out in the hundred years of the present time. Sell the team. Unbox. Oh yeah, welcome back. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network's John Pielli, of course. If you guys were listening earlier, you heard uh, Ralph Citarella, Billy Staples, guys in, in with me in studio for the next hour. Welcome back, guys. It's uh it's baseball season, three hundred and sixty five days a year when you're talking to a guy that spent time in the show. No, that's exactly. the fun part. Now listen, man, that's that's totally how I relate. I think that's really that's really the main connection here between me and Billy. I mean, the, there are, I think in the in the world there are few bigger baseball fans than me and this guy. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad. Sure, I'm sure we could throw Ralph in the mix somewhere. But I'm glad Billy Staples came into my life because he got me basically back into being around baseball players. Because sometimes when you're out of it for a while, you just drift away. Even though your mind's in it, you don't see the players. And because of Billy and his organization and the golf outings he runs that are getting better and better every year, I got to hook up with players I played against, played with Steve Braun, Mike Bilecki. It's like Darren Dalton, me and him were hanging out. My pal, it was awesome. All right, now let's, let's, let's get into you know how you ended up making your return into the game. Obviously, now you're a pitching coach for the Newark Bears. You know, you got a lot to do with them. You're putting together a roster for next year and stuff like that. And, you know, like like we had mentioned before, you last pitched in the major leagues in 1987, around like 1988, 89 is when you kind of took your, you know, went your separate ways. What got, what got you back into the game, man? You know, after all these years, you end up. I always wanted to get back in the game, but uh, I just never took a, a step towards it. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, became friendly with the new owners of the Newark Bears, uh, Danielle and Doug, and they had taken over the team and bought into a major problem that was left to them. And they came to me for some advice and were throwing around ideas of being a general manager, and I was like, I don't think so, <laughs> you know. And then uh, some time went by, and they straightened out their problems, and got full control, and they were looking for a pitching coach, and a friend of mine told them, what about Ralph? And they said, well, he hasn't been a pitching coach, and what what qualifies him? So little did I know, I had to try out again, but didn't know I was trying out. They took a double-A player and uh, had me watch him throw, and I, I just told him a couple things, and I, 
I didn't know. He told them that I taught him more in five minutes than he learned in five years in wow. the pros. So they signed me, and then the rest is history. Now, did this happen? And I'm trying, trying to get my uh, my timeline uh, uh, like correct. Did this happen kind of mid-season last year, around uh, around when uh, when Kenny Overfell was a manager and he ended up leaving, or did it happen? No, last way season? before. I okay, was okay. I was going to be the pitching coach as I knew in maybe November, December, or okay. something like that. All right, and then you, as you end up putting it together, you know, you're you're out there, you're coaching, you know, the pitchers for the first time. Obviously, you gain the knowledge, you know, th- you know, through all these years of pitching and learning the game and stuff. It, w- was it something that you were confident in doing? You're going out there like, all right, you're you know, you're the pitching coach of this team. You, Honest, were you honestly, you I job? was confident, no problem. I I never did it, but it was like riding a bike. Not to say uh, I didn't learn a lot of things, but. Uh, I never second guessed, or didn't, uh, you know, it was more like natural. A good story, John. You know, a good story of you know from a fan's point of view is um, everybody has their own personality. So Ralph, of course, is pitching coach, and he wants the pitchers. He's a pitcher. Yeah. So besides being a pitching coach, I mean, he's a pitcher, and he got to the big leagues. You know, a double A, triple A, away of 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 commanding that mound. So, uh, and I'll let you take over the story <laughs> when when. Um, when I leave off. So now you get halfway through the season, and, and since he's, you can smell him, taste him, feel him, Italian, New Jersey, you know he's there. And yeah. these players that are pitching for him are from all over literally the United States and the country. So he's trying in his first year to get them to be pitchers, not throwers. So this one game, when it gets to be towards about the two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through the season, Citarella goes to the mound, right? And you can see, because I asked him afterwards, you can see that his face, he's talking to the pitcher. And you know they're, they're going back and forth. I don't know whether it's bad. I don't know whether it's good. I know that baseball's going on out there. And what Citarella was telling this pitcher was, how does it feel? How does it feel to finally be a pitcher? This guy, it took you know, it took a while, but he was he was throwing inside, then he was going outside it, and it took a while during the season. And he's a professional ball player, but that is what he brings to the table because he's just real, no fluff, no politics. And um, do you remember walking out there and, and saying, you know, this fi- this guy finally got it? Well, I said, see, see what happens when you, <laughs> you know you throw one inside and you throw one outside because young pitchers don't realize they're like. Well, this guy's hitting my best pitch low and away. I says, well, I could hit your best pitch low and away if I don't have to worry about a ball coming inside. I close my eyes and hit it. And they go like, oh, really? (laughs) You know, it's just doing it. Or I went out to the mound, the same individual, and I told him that if he doesn't knock somebody down and pitch inside, (laughs) that he's going to get one of my infielders and maybe one of my outfielders hurt with a line drive. And he was not going to be pitching for the next inning. And he ended up throwing a complete game. He knocked down the biggest guy on the other team, and then he pitched nine innings. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, that, that's, that's really what it comes down to. And we mentioned it, you know, in the first hour. It's, it's, it's about, you know, you have, you have to put some fear in the hitter. Because if they're, if they're sitting and expecting every one of your pitches, whether they're perfectly thrown or not, to be in one spot, one location, they're going to time it. Oh my God! And even you know, you're even talking about like off-speed pitches and stuff like that. If you're throwing a fastball outside, curveball outside, you know, a changeup outside, the the batters are you know you know reaching over the plate can pretty much do whatever they want with it after a while. Better yet, a guy throws 95 miles an hour, say, and throws a fastball on the knees on the black 
outside. And then he's got the nastiest slider in the world and throws it outside on the black. And they're hitting doubles to the right, to the alleys, because it doesn't matter how hard he throws. The ball, the balls are in the same spot, so they don't have to worry about somebody coming inside, and they can't figure out why they're getting killed. All you have to do is look at, if you have a flow chart of where the balls are being hit, it's very easy. There's a lot of, you know, they do it in the big leagues, because guys get, one time I was in AAA, and a guy on the other team, who was my teammate, a major leaguer, Kelly Paris, sure. he was traded to the Reds in AAA, and I was going through a bad spell. If anybody thinks they don't have bad spells during the year, hitters or pitchers, they're lying. And uh, he came up to me after the game. We were having a beer. He says, Sid, he says, words around. You weren't pitching inside. Oh, my God. I got so – I'll tell you what. The next three pitches I threw, I think I almost killed three people. Hit three guys. Yeah, and that was the end of that. You know, you get comfortable, and sometimes, you know, it's like anybody in any job in life. They just forget the basics every once in a yeah. while. And they, that's why I need a coach to remind them. And uh, now I promised I'd, I'd go over a couple of these reads and stuff going on with the Newark Bears. Uh, April 13th is going to be a spring tryout. So if I'm not mistaken, I think it's an open tryout like you mentioned before. Open tryouts. Just contact the Bears front office or, or go on uh, NewarkBears.com and uh, scroll around and you'll be able to sign up. And uh, what was it? At, uh, it's going to be at Bear, Bears and Eagles Stadium? Yep, right down Riverfront Stadium, Riverfront sure. Stadium. Cool, man. Um, also, they'll be having a preseason celebration and Mother's Day picnic with mother and child pitch and catch, along with other activities. It, the date looks like it's going to be May the twelfth. Um, Sundays are the firework are the mil fireworks nights in military municipality. So students and seniors get two for one admission, beer, hot dogs. Uh, visit their website. Uh, I believe it's NewarkBears.com. Or was, is that the right website? I want to make sure I'm giving yep. out the right info here. <laughs> yep, that'll work. So check out uh, NewarkBears.com to visit the website for more information to come. And every Friday night, they have a, a, a fantastic fireworks show after every game on Friday nights. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're, we're doing good. We're doing yeah, if good. I'm not mistaken, they actually started, uh, they're, they're, they were drawing a little better towards the end of the season. Yeah, yeah I noticed by, the, by the attendance, it seemed like you know, more and more people are getting the message the, and coming out to support. It you know. seemed like as the team got better, the fans got better, and uh, there's going to be a lot more uh, people in the sta uh, stands this year. So come on out, and it, it's, it's a good experience. There's game's good. It's real baseball. The field got voted the number one playing surface in the league. Really, uh, you got a site of New York, the new towers that are being built. You, it's it's unbelievable view from uh, the stands. I wanted to, you know, people that are listening have their favorite team, have their favorite players. So when you're in high school, Ralph, that's pre ESPN. You know, that's pre. You got the sports pages, and you got you got three minutes of sports news at eleven o'clock. That's what you had when you were in high school. So when you went to school the next day, whether it's basketball, baseball, and you're talking, you're talking because you got it from the newspaper, right? Or you got eleven o'clock news a few minutes, and that's it. Or Channel so, Nine or Channel Eleven. Yeah, uh, and, and and Sports Extra, of course, on Sunday night. But who who was the couple of players that you know you were digging when you were in high school? Who who were your guys that you? Tom Seaver. Oh, you like Seaver? Nolan Ryan. Yeah, some, and they threw heat. Yeah. Now let me ask you, Ralph. You, you know, you, you're, you're talking about you had some success as a hitter. You played a little center field. Was it? Was this your your determination to make to make it to what you made it as a pitcher, or were you open to playing a field and being a hitter too? I could have played, but I wanted to pitch. 
But that, that was just something that, you know, as you went just, through the whole I, way yeah, along, I just you wanted, wanted to be a pitch. pitcher. Yeah. I wanted to play quarterback, too, but I decided I wanted to pitch. Well, you know, because you, you probably took a couple less headshots that I way. took a shot, and uh, they told me that if I got hit again, I might not be able to throw anything, so I, I didn't play football. Well, I think it was a wise decision. I mean, oh, yeah, man, you see the here, size of these guys uh, now? <laughs> they're, they're bigger than ever. I mean, obviously, you hear all this stuff about all you know the pro players and the long-term effects of head injuries and stuff like that. And I'll tell you it's what, pretty serious. you see the size of baseball players now? Yeah, they're, they're big. They're the same as football players. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, the only difference is they're not running running into each other as much yeah, every, at full speed. Every 30 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> yeah, you get a collision. It might be, uh, you know, if they're lucky once a game, a couple couple times a week. They say In the NFL, it's every, yeah, like you said, 30 seconds. They say an NFL player, how much time in between each play? 30 seconds? Yeah. It's like running, going 25 miles an hour, running into a wall with a car. Yeah, yeah, it's like getting in a car accident. You know, how many car accidents you're going to deal with over the course of 60 minutes and be able to come out come out of it the same way you came. Out. I'll tell you what, too. Uh, you know, you saw a lot during your time in your 20s, and uh, it's football season and football fans. And to tell you what went on in one month, one month in the NFL, where one guy gets in a car, goes to where there's 12 teammates, gets in the car because now we're done with having a few drinks, and then boom, that's the end. That's the end. Dallas Cowboys. So, and and that's his high school, college best friend. Two yeah, guys yeah, on the was, same NFL yeah, team. That was a sad story, then, man. Then another one. Your personal life. People think you know you're a professional athlete. You don't have a worry in the world. You know that's why I'm asking your take on it. Another guy well, has problems with his woman, right? And both him and his woman are dead at the end of the day in one month. You know that's why people don't realize because the athletes get. The big athletes, just because they're making a ton of money, they have the same trials and tribulations as the people they put on all the news stations every night because they don't put anything good on the news. They put bad things, and that's what that is. That's a terrible thing. But when I was in the minor leagues or maybe, yeah, in St. Louis, no one's going to remember this, but the late Donnie Moore, who had some problems sure. in life, they were building an extension down by Al Lang Stadium, and there was a similar car crash, and one of the players got killed. I can't remember his name, and one was driving, right. and one of them got killed. I don't know how. It's a very long time ago, but sure. the same thing happened in the Cardinals organization. Really? Yeah. yeah. It had to be like maybe 81. It's uh, It just... It, to, it's real life, uh, so that they you know, don't understand. I, I lost my minor league roommate to a car accident. Did two, you? two of them, and one was a major leaguer, Joe Disa. Uh, sure. Yeah, and my other one, Joey Casares. But Joe Disa was playing uh, major leagues, White Sox, Cardinals. Married a girl from the Dominican. They were celebrating the Caribbean series in Puerto Rico over uh, another big leaguer's house, Bombo Rivera, and he got on a highway going the wrong way. Is that what Joe did? And In Puerto yeah. Rico, and that's the last we all heard of Joe, man, man. my other roommate. Uh, did you uh, spend time in the uh, uh, winter ball with Puerto Rico or Dominican? I hit them all. <laughs> except, <laughs> I hit them all except Colombia, Mexico, Dominican, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, and Venezuela. And Venezuela one more time because it's the one I haven't been and to. I love and I know. winter ball. Everybody. Says, everybody. <laughs> I love winter ball. 
too much fun. I uh, that's when you know if you got it or not. Yeah, they're, they're different fans, John. Uh, they yeah. love baseball. Yeah, I'm they sure love every pitch. It's, and uh, they the the community revolves around the game that day. I was in the Dominican last year, and uh, Obi, um, the guy that uh, Ken Obergefell, obviously who Ralph worked with, and. Ken Obergfell, by going down there and managing, and uh, who owns the team but uh, the Alou family. Really? Oh, yeah. Uh, and he can do no wrong. I, mean, <laughs> I, pl- I played for Felipe Alou Did you? in Escogido in the Dominican, my really? first trip. And yeah. then I played for Felipe Alou. He managed in Valencia, the Magallanes team in Venezuela. I played for Felipe. It's, it's, uh, it's literally like their, their World Series is as serious as the the big league world series it's and maybe to some extent from their country probably even even, even bigger yeah. oh gosh i played in the playoffs in puerto rico i played in caracas in front of 30,000 and uh oh my god in venezuela when you walk down the road and you pitch the high rise apartments you walk out and you win they people cheer for you and when you lose they go <laughs> They want to cut your throat. Now, is there any, is there any similarities to a lot of the feelings about like soccer, like you know, and like you know, let's say like South America stuff like that, where they, you know, like if you if you force your team to lose a game, they might they might go up and straight up kill you. <laughs> they all have their teams. Yeah. They and loyalty. And they have lo- They yeah. are loyal fans. I'll tell well, you. that's one thing I always respected about like you know countries like that. They are they are loyal to the point where they're gonna. That they're gonna live or die with you. That their their days are impacted probably even more than it is here here in the states here in the country. If, if you do good down there, you can't do no wrong. They, they give you anything you want, take you anywhere, feed you. No, absolutely, man. That's that's freaking insane. I want to to get um, uh, another story out of sit. So I'll lead into it to let your your head get get set. But uh, we we talk about one five hundred home run club member meaning mark mcguire just when you're getting towards the end of your pitching career this teenager is in el paso so you're in you're in el paso in 19 uh let me think i think it's 88 wow, that's right? Right. it's an 88 so um to backtrack with this teenager john when dwight gooden was playing for the mets 84 85 86 and just popping it rookie of the year cy young world series exactly. he would he would send, because of family, he would send for his nephew to come up to Flushing. Yeah. So, uh, and Dwight and I have done a lot of these speaking gigs in front of these kids. So then you spend time and you talk. So he would send for his nephew, Gary Sheffield. Yeah. So Gary Sheffield's 13, 14, 15. Right. And he's coming up to Flushing for the summer. And he's staying in his, in his cousin's uh, uh, place. So, or, or his uncle, technically. So my point is... Now that guy gets to be out of high school, and now he's 19 years old. Who's on the same team as him in El Paso on, yeah. on Chef's Way to the Big Leagues? Another 500, but Citarella. Uh I mean, did that man, when he held the bat, you know, anybody that saw him on TV as a big leaguer was like holding the toothpick. But that's two 500 home run guys. When, Comments on Sheffield? When them guys hit the ball, there's only a few. The Bat makes a different sound than all the rest of it. Like, you got to put them like Bo Jackson, Jose Canseco, Sheffield. When they hit the ball, major league players, supposed to, after they take infield, would, or batting practice on the visiting team, would stay out 
to watch those guys kind of guys take batting practice because it's completely different sound the ball makes and it's you just got you just have to know that sound and they're few and far between Did you, you you already had big league time you're 10 years older than Sheffield when he was in El Paso as a teammate did you just take a look and go he's not going to be here for long yep and also we faced a Texas Rangers double-A team in the playoffs. Right. And who do you think I was watching pitch? Kenny Rogers and Kevin Brown. Really? On the way up, and I'm like, look at this guy throw. Imagine, both of them, two guys on one team. Yeah. yeah they, they ended up doing okay in their careers. Too. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. He could really hit Chef. Oh, my God. Uh, I enjoyed could. watching him hit. He's kind of a hitter that if the pitcher looks at the hitter instead of the glove, it, it tends to make him uh, want to throw away. <laughs> uh, for, for Sheffield News, it's been a big week for Gary. Um, Gary, uh, two years ago, decided to, with his retirement, get into the agent business. So Yeah, he actually heard about that. And he, um, he negotiated his first big contract. Uh, Gary Sheffield, one of his clients, is Jason Grilly. Yes, and Jason had a good year with the Pirates, and of course he was a free agent. So, Chef negotiated a two-year, seven million dollar contract for Jason Grilly. Yeah, and, and actually, if you hear some of the some of the reports before, I mean, they were actually pushing some teams to try it off from that. There's about about four or five teams that were in it at the end, yeah. and he ends up signing a two-year deal for, deal for seven million with the Pirates. So, you know, yeah, he's 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 on his second career, man, and that's I think. You know, kind of leads me into a question that I got for you, Ralph. Is it, you know, you know, you know, when you're playing baseball, you know, no matter how successful you are, you're not going to be doing it forever. Your pitching career, your playing career, is only going to last a duration of time. You know, like some some players are lucky enough to get ten, fifteen, you know, plus years, you know, in the big leagues. But you you know, after you're done playing, you have to get into something else. Was it was there any time that you thought about it while you were pitching, as far as what you were going to do? You know, when you were done playing baseball. I probably thought I would would coach, but when I left, uh, I wasn't mentally prepared to do that because I shouldn't have left. Okay. So I uh, I had a friend, and uh, he taught me the mortgage business, uh, Mark Santangelo, and uh, for 20-something years I've been doing it, and uh, thanks to him I do it pretty well. Yeah, and listen, I mean, you hear all these stories, you know, the, you know, the stories about, you know, the Sheffields and the – you know, Consecos and all all those guys that have those big long careers that you know make all that money and end up being kind of set afterwards. You know that that's that's not that's not the majority. Guess who I was talking to this summer in the outfield? He was still swinging, playing for uh, <laughs> um, Massachusetts uh, Rock, Sheffield. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Conseco. Conseco. Yeah, 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 I'm yeah. sorry. I'm yeah, so, that's what I thought you were going to say. Conseco, <laughs> and he's. As big as he was and in shape as he is was, but the bat's just a little slow. Yeah, I actually follow his. Uh, it's Worcester, Worcester, Mass. Yeah, I follow his Twitter account, and he's uh, he's always uh, he's always tweeting stuff like, about how, how he how he just wants to play. How again. do you think I felt? I'm like, I was in his first big league camp with him, and he's still playing, <laughs> and he still looks like he can play. <laughs> and you know what? With him, what that's what makes him happy. You know, pl- yeah. swinging that bat makes him happy. So, Ricky Henderson, okay, he's already in the Hall of Fame. There's not a question, right? He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. What? So, when you make that much money, we're not talking about money. We're talking about what makes you happy. 
Ricky Henderson was in your league yep. playing because playing the game made him happy. Don't you think I wanted to keep playing after I got out? And I couldn't. And I'm like, wow, you still think you can play. Yeah, that's, think- that's, that's, that's definitely a good comparison to Ricky Henderson because he really had that towards the end of his career. He could have probably stopped playing about you know, maybe three, four years easily before he played his last major league game. Why do all these guys come back and coach? Because they go home and they there's it's everything. I'm telling you, the rest of the world, everything to me is in slow, slow motion. The greatest thing about being a pitching coach is, when I was a starting pitcher, I pitched once every five days. When I was a reliever, I didn't know when I was going to pitch. When you're the pitching coach, you pitch every day, every exactly. pitch. So go figure. What a better job than that. I know. I agree with you. Yeah. Now, now was it, you know, you mentioned before about, you know, how you just, you, you maybe you, you didn't feel like you were mentally ready to leave the game as a pitcher. Now, did you ever think maybe a couple of years, five years, you know, a little bit down the road that you should have gotten back into the game sooner? Yeah, I think I shouldn't have left, period. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I can't change the too. past. <laughs> like they just had the Winter League meetings uh, in Nashville. And, uh, you know, I was talking to different guys like Ralph. Ralph's back in the game. There's guys that are so, whether they're strapped, whether they're bankrupt, or whether they're financially set, that, that has nothing to do with it. That you have to network politically to get back in the game. You have to have an opportunity. I, I got very lucky, and I got yeah. very lucky that my other job, allows me the freedom to do this Not and exactly. that I have a, a wife my wife Millie that knows the heartache I had from baseball and said yeah no problem now, I'm I, gone I mean I'm gone <laughs> yeah I'll tell you man I can make I can make a, a brief comparison to that you know similarly to what I go through I mean I obviously have not I'm not I'm not a major radio show host you know I'm not nationally broadcast and stuff like that. I, I have to work a full-time job, and I need two of the same things. I need that that income that I got with my full-time job and the support from my wife to you know to you know allow me and be okay with me pursuing everything that I'm doing here. All the extra hours a week that I do, you know, preparing for my show and stuff like that. So I could I could relate to that. You know, the first game of the year, or the first practice game, we played Rockland, and my former teammate and friend, pitcher Dave LaPointe, is the manager. He stuck up behind me and grabbed me, and I didn't even see him. And he says, it's about time you put the uniform back on. And my bells you know, bells went off. Pointer, uh, you know, he's talking about his teammate Dave LaPointe, who was winning 10 or plus, 10 plus games a year. Yes. Uh, a baseball story. When all these guys get together there at Whitey's Thing, I walked up to Pointer. Now, they love to dig on each other. Yeah. I mean, that's just a baseball. It's, you know, anything to nail, you know, one another. And I said, I said, hey, Pointer, I got a question for you. I, um, I'm in with Steve Braun, and I just wondered, because he's you know, a little bit uh, quiet and soft-spoken. Um, you know, could you reflect back on when you played with Brawny and after the games, you know, four days in Atlanta or somewhere? You know, how did Brawny do with Dayton? And he goes, oh, Brawny's success with Dayton, uh, that, that was really easy. This is what he did because he just, he just really wasn't that well-versed with, with talking to the ladies. He would say, hey, Pointer, uh, you see that uh, brunette over there? Could, could you go over there and talk to her for me? <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I told Brawny, you know, like 10 minutes later what Pointer said, and, and he goes, 
Well, you know, it's funny, but it's true. <laughs> did Brony ever tell you that World Series ring? He was going to buy one because of all the attention it got? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it helps having that ring. That's <laughs> you know? so funny, man. And, of course, he ended up, he ended up getting one on, uh, you know, with the 82 Cardinals. Wow. All right, listen, I uh, want to take a quick break because we got to. But uh, thanks a lot. This is John Pielli, Passball Show on TRA Radio Network. Of course, I'm here with Ralph Citarella, Billy Staples. We're going to be back with uh, a ton of more. Finish up this last uh, half hour after this. How's Bruni's brother? Worse? It, it's, you know, it's never going to be better. What's up, everybody? This is James Flippin' and Joey Baboots. We host the morning show together, and every morning we start up our cars and make the drive up to the studio. And, you know, we always see one or two accidents along the way. We wanted to make sure our listeners know where to go for the best in car care in South Jersey. That's right, James. Red Rose Body Shop. That's Red Rose Body Shop, specializes in collision and framework. They're the best in South Jersey for paint and bodywork, unibody framework, free towing, and free estimates. So call today, 609-927-9454, and check out their website, www.redroseautobody.com. Follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Red Rose Body Shop, 2033 Ocean Heights Avenue, Egg Harbor Township, New Jersey, 609-927-9454. Red Rose Body Shop is South Jersey's collision specialist. 609-927-9454 or redrosebodyshop.com. Been in an accident? Take your car to the professionals at Red Rose Body Shop. Hey, everyone. This is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android market and iPhone app store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. Everybody's doing it. (laughs) MTR Radio. Oh, yeah. Welcome back. Passball Show on TR Radio Networks. It's John Pielli. Don't forget to check out our mobile app. Uh, you got the iPhone, the Android. You just, uh, search MTR Radio. You get to listen to all our programming live 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, you can listen from your car, listen from your phone, uh, You know, kind of getting your, yourself through. But pretty much, listen, we got sports shows. There's all, all types of entertainment shows on the network. Uh, check mtrmedia.com, mtrradio.com with a list of programming. Uh, once again, it's John Pielli, Passball Show. Uh, we're here with Ralph Citarella, Billy Staples. And listen, man, I mean, the last, you know, 25 minutes or so, uh, I just want to hear stories, man. He brought up the name of uh, Love and Tom Seaver when he was a kid. So last week I w- had to be in New York for a book signing. And um, the 1969 Miracle Mets had a guy that wore uniform number three. And he was at shortstop. He was the tiniest guy on the Mets. 
that tiniest guy on the Mets as a shortstop was Seaver's roommate. Yeah. So all day long while we're signing books, I'm talking three hours, John, you this is what ball players do. They tell roommate stories, yeah. right? So I'm listening to Bud Harrelson, and I'm loving it because the line is long, John, and we're signing book after book after yeah. book. And all I heard was Tom Seaver's stories, but you heard him from the roommate's point of view. That's good stuff. <laughs> you know, it just is. Because Seaver wasn't a pitcher, you know. You're not rooming with the pitcher. You're rooming with the shortstop. And uh yeah, now was was that common then? You, now, was it kind of a random thing, or did he pitchers said, usually room with pitchers? Good question. He said that they were both from California, right? And they were both coming up together. They both got along. Why split them up? And that was management's point of view. Now, now was it management that made that decision? Yeah. The rooms together? Yeah. The players well, really had no say in it? Well, they, they had a say, plus management yeah. dis didn't disagree. Sometimes somebody can throw a, a wrench in the engine there. The other thing um, Seaver liked to do was to – Baseball players, of course, the farther you go back in baseball, the more they talked about baseball after the game yeah, or spent time because you had roommates. Well, um, Seaver loved Harrelson being able to position himself per pitch because he knew the batter and he knew what Seaver was trying to do with the pitch. And when a shortstop moves around 10, 15 feet, that either hurts you or helps you. And Seaver contended that, you know, Harrelson positioning himself for each pitch actually really really helped him. and especially from uh Seaver's point of view who was very he, he was he, he had a very serious demeanor as Absolutely. far as wanting everybody to be on board with him he always talked about you know the mound and the distance between the mound and the plate being his office and you know really really to have to have a guy that's going to position himself without Seaver having to look back and say you know I need you to do this I need you to do that he just did it on his own I'm sure I'm sure that meant a lot to him that leads me to you Ralph uh you're, you're around the game you know a decade between AAA and the big leagues, you saw a lot of pitchers. Well, right? who 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 did you you know? Because you're not pitching that day. Who did you just sit there and like to watch do his craft? Because you saw a lot of guys do their thing. Well, what happens is people don't realize when they watch Major League Baseball, the reason it looks so easy a lot of times is because the pitchers ha can throw the ball to where the catcher calls it, and because of that, the infield will shade to that side. Okay, so. They have a uh, a head a heads up on the play or a jump, and I used to know that I could hit a spot, and I would tell. Uh, let's just take Greg Leg for instance, uh, a teammate, played in the big leagues, twenty five year coach for the Phillies in in Lake Lakeland Lakewood, yes. and I remember because I see him all the time. I remember if I'm on the mound and I know I'm gonna throw this right-hander a slider away, I would just look at him and go like that. And he would say, thanks, why can't every pitcher do that? You know sure. what I mean? But if you can't put it there... Yeah, don't be moving your you head. <laughs> so so pitchers like that, you know, I got to see Bob Force. I seen him throw a second, two no-hitters. Now, Force, he wasn't overpowering, so what did that tell you? He, he, he hit he his spot. Sure. And wow, do fielders like that because the game goes fast, they're on the balls of their feet, and they make extra the extra dive for you because they're not sleeping. It's not ball one, ball four. You know, a valuable lesson being a coach. When you're a pitcher and you're on the field and you throw ball one, ball two, you say, no problem, next pitch is a strike. Ball three, ball four, no problem, I'll get a double play. Ball six, ball eight, no problem, I'll get a play. When you're a coach or the manager, you want to choke the yeah. guy. <laughs> and, and then you think about the position, think about position players the in the field. The difference of being confident and being 
just being in the opposite side of the coin. Now, do so you think do you think Ralph that it's a, it, is it harder nowadays? Because a lot of times, particularly in major league uh, teams bullpens, you see a lot of times that guys come in, and I don't I don't know if it was always like that. I'm sure you know I'm sure you could you you could kind of make a better judgment than I can, but. You know, you see a lot of times, you know, a pitcher comes in in the seventh inning. All of a sudden, the game changes because he's all over the place. He's not throwing the ball where he needs isn't to. Isn't it amazing how long the last couple innings take? Yeah, that's amazing. And I just, I just, I just find it like, you know, you figure like these guys, you know, have, have, have all the success. They got the qualifications, the talent to, you know, do what they come in. You know, they come in at a game and, you know. You know, there's always going to be the days when the best pitcher gets lit up or yeah. the best pitcher is wild. But it's going to be few and far between because yep. it's all about consistency. And on any given day, you know, it comes down to. I want to. They want to say concentration. I say, home plate doesn't move. Don't look at the hitter. Only look at the catcher's glove because it doesn't matter where the hitter is. He can only go so far on top of the plate if you throw to the glove. Don't look at the hitter because if you look at the hitter and he's a big, strong guy and he's crowding the plate, hitters think that they have to try to throw inside and they try to throw harder, and so they lose their control. And then they may hit throw it over the middle or wild. So it's just the way the pitcher handles it that day. They should even, you know, you got a chance of getting them out if you just lob it over down the middle. In batting practice, to get a base hit, and they know what's coming, you know. Now, so. now, now let me, and, you know, let me continue to leave your uh, pitching coach hat on. What do you, what do you do in a situation like that? You got, you got a pitcher that you know, you know, has good command, or maybe has, you know, has shown the tendency to be able to get hitters out, and for some reason, they're just, they're just off that day. Their fastball, they want to hit the outside corner. It's riding high and outside. They're, they're, well, throw, they're throwing well, a curveball. They're well, not getting a break. Well, the problem is. <laughs> When that's the case, the problem lies with then he's your good pitcher and you know he's capable and he always does the job, so you don't have another pitcher warming up until yeah. he goes bad. So how fast can you get another guy up if the guy throws four balls? Big deal. Happens to everybody. Yeah. Now all of a sudden it's a close game and now he's wild with the next guy. Now you say, do you bring him in? i got to get somebody up. Now do I bring him in or is he going to find himself? Yeah, yeah. And, that, so and, that, and that's actually, so, that's actually good. so, you know, it's, it's a gut feeling. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of leads into my next question. And it depends who's warming. I got warming up because I'll stall. Do you do you think that you, as the pitching coach, have the ability to change that, or is that something that they got to grasp yeah. amongst uh, themselves? I run right out to the mound sometimes, and because you figure you figure the pitcher themselves know that they're they're not right. Like not... some pitchers, I could t- you know there's some guys like I can talk them in to getting a guy out, but I can't talk them into going out and starting the next inning and. And doing it again. Yeah. It's their, I don't know what happens. Like, I could talk to them and get them to throw a strike, or I'll tell them something. Absolutely. Or take their mind off of it. You know, I like tell them, you see, you know, you, you see behind home plate that, that, that girl over there, you know? You know, keep their mind off the You know, yeah, something yeah. stupid or where you want to go later. And now, and by the way, just throw it down the middle, you know? But... The- <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> if you, if, from from my point of view of talking to all these different guys, John, uh, you got nine positions in baseball, and if you're talking on behavior, just psychological behavior, the most insecure position that has the highest level of insecurities is the pitcher. Yeah, I figured. What? And and um, so one word, one word could stick in their head. Some guys are scared. Some guys, you, if you yell at them, you ruin them. If you yell at them, they do better. 
uh, you, you know, you become a psychiatrist and you got to treat everyone different. Don't and, you remember the movie? Say, Candlesticks. Candlesticks are a great uh, wedding gift, don't you think? Hey, think <laughs> candlesticks, right? Yeah. Come on, any well, baseball fan knows what I'm doing right yeah. now. And and what he was using psychology. That's what he was doing in that, yeah. and that's why it was real. The film was real. Written uh, by a former minor league player, Ron Shelton. Yep. Uh, even if you don't have it, make believe you have it. Yes. You know? Sharks smell blood. You know, they you know, they smell blood. <laughs> you know, you were a decent hitter. You you got your share of at bats when you were a starting pitcher. You know, you were the hitter trying to figure out the... I got a hit, one hit, one RBI. <laughs> American League National League. What was your Oh, because the American League had the DH during yeah, the time. I'm old. So yeah, so you're you're uh, Game of the Week, Steve Trout. You got to hit off the and trout. And I scored. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I got the video. It was game of the week. So Jody Davis is catching for the Cubs, and he was with the Cardinals, and he's my friend. I come up to bat the next that next time I come up to bat, he goes, you, blah, blank, blank, blank. I told him you couldn't hit anything. Don't expect to even see a fastball. Guy throws me three break balls in a row. And strike three, and I just look at him, and I said, "I said to him, I got something for your ass when you get up." And next time, he, <laughs> and next time he got up, I struck him out on a curveball that came out of the sky, and he looked at me and dragged the bat back to the plate, and just looked. I said, "I told That's you." Baseball. I said, "I told you." It was, like, it was like the like the Willie Mays Hayes in uh, Major Major League. He's like, "I'm not gonna slide. Don't worry." <laughs> he ends up jumping you, over him and stop barreling into If you see the tape, him. you'll see, you could you know you could see it. Davis stayed, man. You know Davis stayed in the big leagues. Jody could hit. Yep. Well, he's catching me in instructional league again. He we're playing the Mets and Strawberries there. Ron Garden higher, and we used to don't remember the Cardinals used to share a field, and we How all learned St. Pete with the Mets. So. And plus, we played against them in Double A. They were in Jackson. We were in Arkansas, Little Rock. Not a lot of friends. And uh, I remember it was Brian Giles, Garden Hire, uh, all these guys. And it was one of those days I couldn't get any of them out. They were playing musical chairs with second base. And uh, in fact, hair people had longer hair then. I remember ball going by my ear and feeling my hair go up in the air. And Jody Davis comes to the mound, and I go, "This guy's going down." I got it. I got it. This is crazy. He goes, come on, man. Don't, don't, don't. It's my buddy, Ron Gardenhire. And I go, oh, no problem. Next pitch, I drilled him. And Joe, like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, that's awesome. Today would lighten me up. I got to tell you. Like, did you feel better after that? Yeah. They were hitting me. I want to hit somebody. Yeah, there's no there's no wall there to punch, so you might as well beat they, somebody. They lit me up. Man. I got I got my final uh, Ralph Citarella question. You uh, grow up watching uh, obviously Seaver and Ryan and the boys and uh, baseball cards. There had to be a day where somebody asked you to sign your. You know, you were on a baseball card. You were a major league player, so there had to be a memory of this is me on a baseball. Yeah. Card. You got anything for me on that? I have a memory. I was walking through a Kmart, and uh, you know, had they had the packs of cards with the cellophane, a group of cards, and I'm walking by, and I, my card was on the front, and I was just standing there going, "Really? <laughs> oh my god!" 
I might even have it somewhere taped up. To it's uh, the story. You always ask that question, John, because um, we were talking about Steve Braun, one of his teammates before, and Braun gets a phone call from Atlanta, Georgia in the 80s from his okay. sister. And his sister was at a golf course and went over to the soda machine, right, and bought a soda. She pushed the button for RC Cola in Atlanta, Georgia. And the RC Cola can comes through. Steve Braun's sister, because he's one of nine kids, yeah. she grabs the RC Cola can. Well, back then, on RC Cola cans were the three best or four best players on each team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she picks up the RC Cola can, and it's her brother. <laughs> like, I know that guy. <laughs> oh, that was my soda, RC. <laughs> Too funny, man. Yeah, we talked about the Cubs a little bit before. Just uh, just breaking now, it looks like uh, Annabelle Sanchez has agreed to a deal with the Chicago Cubs. So for all my listeners out there, you want to know a little bit of hot stove going on. So, 75 mil yeah. for Annabelle? Yeah. 75 mil. You know what I am? I'm not old. I'm ancient. <laughs> I, I'm not 50. I'm 100 years old today. No, exactly. 75 man. mil for him, and he's bounced around. Yeah. Yeah, he had a good postseason last year. I think that was probably the reason he got the money, but it looks like the Cubs end up uh, grabbing him. Yeah, we'll see if it ends up helping. I, uh, I wish Annabelle the best in Chicago. I know they want to win. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Cubbies. Yeah, it's been a little while, right? <laughs> yeah. But then again, Josh got, you know, he's only the second person in baseball history. You know, he averages now 25 so, million a year. Talking yeah. about the Cubs, I'll give you a nice story. I'm talking to uh, Frank Kopenbarger, who runs the clubhouse, equipment manager for the Philadelphia Phillies, originally with the Cardinals. And uh, the game of the week that I pitched uh, against the Cubs – in the ninth inning with two outs in the bottom of the ninth, Bruce Souter set the record for saves that year. There's only one game he didn't save when there's two strikes on Ryan Sandberg, and we were winning, and everyone was congratulating me for the win, and the next pitch he hit it out of the game. went extra innings. He hit Willie McGee hit for the cycle. Sandberg hit two more home runs and one to win it in the 13th. Well, I'm talking to Frank Kopenbarger this summer, and he goes, I got to go. Ryan Sandberg's on the line. He's coaching the AAA. I got to pick up this call. So he calls me back. Yeah, I just talked to Sandberg. I just tell him thanks for t thanks for ruining my win. He goes, there's a flip side to that. If he didn't if he didn't hit that home run, your game wouldn't be on TV every month for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You got a little caveat out of it. He, there's a the guy that paid his dues. He's back on a big league roster. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, good for him. The, the team that they're referring to with him managing AAA, they never from the first day of the season, from their first existence, the AAA Phillies. In the existence of them in Allentown, Pennsylvania, it's the Lehigh Valley Pigs, they never had a 500 record, ever, because they always lost the first game of the season. Sandberg comes in there. They don't just – they don't – under Sandberg's leadership, they don't just have a 500 record. They finish in first place yeah. every year. This guy, don't – you don't have to be Billy Martin and you don't have to be Chuck Tanner. Managers have all kinds of personalities. All I'm saying is that Sandberg, right, is as quiet as they come. But, man, oh, man, do players play for him. Yeah, I tell you, it's important. I mean, there's so many different ways to do it. You can be the fiery guy or you can be the quiet guy. It's just if, getting that message through to the players and having them follow you. That's what a good leader does. If the players respect you, they will play hard. They will, go to, they will, they will do what they're capable of and try to get the maximum out of themselves. Yeah, no question about it, man. Now, I tell you, this is uh, – yeah, you know, we're hitting uh, pretty much the home stretch here, man. And um, 
you know, Billy, you know, you want to talk a little bit about, you know, the, you know, your recent book signing and stuff like that and what you're doing with, uh, with your book. The, for baseball fans, uh, if you go on to the computer or Amazon.com, you can look up the book. It's Before the Glory. Yeah. The second book is a lot of interviews with Yankees and Phillies, and it's only two- and three-page chapters, and it's this type of interview. We're just chatting. Not so much from a newspaper reporter's point of view from hitting it. That one's called Billy Ball, 2009 Phillies and Yankees, because they both ended up in the World Series in 2009. But the second Before the Glory book, we've just completed. Okay. Uh, and that, that took five years. Nice. I mean, that's, uh, it's not your typical type of writing, because these books are meant not just for baseball fans, but for kids. So that you only have to read one page, but then you understand that this guy, whoever this ball player was, was once 14. Hence the title before the glory we yeah. talk a lot about their teenage years one of the things i can tell you is we just we just got done with an interview with chris heisey the starting uh, center fielder for the cincinnati reds every time you do an interview you learn just so much you didn't know before and heisey loves the game of baseball who helps him his dad his dad passed away when he was in the minor leagues what why did the heisey's dad pass away lou gehrig's disease uh, heisey in the reds organization is known as the most fan-friendly, nicest guy. He's the guy that, that the, you're going to send to be on the radio shows or schools or caravans. And it's because he promised his dad as he got sick, right, I'm always going to treat the fans with the best, including, for this day and age, 2012, his autograph. Like, Ralph's autograph is ridiculously nice. Heisey is in 2012 as a player, and you can read every letter of Heisey in every autograph. Oh, wow. And that's, what, that's all for his dad, meaning I'm going to treat the fans, uh, no matter if they're collectors or if they're dealers or if they're fans, if they're old or young, he treats them all the same. So these books, Before the Glory, ends up with these great interviews. Um, and you just learn about them as human beings. And they can be a Hall of Famer, like Phil Necro we were just talking about with Ralphie, if we go to his event. Because uh, watch, Phil Necro. We can go on this. Phil Necro, there's a movie out right now. Nobody wanted to see that movie quicker than Phil Necro. Spielberg made, made this film. But when the film came out nationwide, Phil Necro loves the Civil War. Wants to read as many books on the Civil War as he can. So when Lincoln came out, that's all Phil Necro wanted to do. That's what these guys, when you're around them, it's not just all baseball. You learn about what their likes, dislikes, or personality quirks or quirms are. And, and hopefully that's what uh, Before the Glory is as a book series. No, that's awesome. Now, is is there any is there anybody you went to interview that ended up coming across completely different than you thought they would? Yeah, what happens, uh, you know, when they find out, I, I'm a member of the media, but I'm the farthest thing from a member of the media. <laughs> I, you know, we we're all talking the same language here, yeah. and these guys are obviously gun shy. But what happens is they come across. You feel the change in the tape when they realize, oh, this. You know, you run your radio show a certain way. We run our interviews, my co-author and I, Rich. We run them a certain way. Yeah. And once they found that, that, like, he's asking about my mom, my dad, my uncle, uh, Tom Seaver in high school, you know, making and getting stories, what happens is even the toughest guys lighten up. What what one would I pick? A tough, a tough player is uh, there's two old, old Hall of Fame Yankees. That would be Whitey Ford and Yogi Berra. And uh, Whitey Ford's, you know, been doing this for 60 years. Yeah. Whitey Ford, when we went down to his uh, summer home in Florida, didn't want to leave. 
He kept going to the fridge, grabbing three beers, one for me, one for Rich, one for him. And he said, I'll talk as long as you have tape and you drink beer with me. <laughs> and we just had a great night. What night was that? That was his birthday. Really? And he spent it with two guys that in the beginning of the day didn't know, but by the end of the day didn't want us to leave. Why? Because we speak the same language. Oh, exactly. And we're not going, Ralph. You, you were uh, you were a big leaguer and, I, and, and oh my God, how did it feel to be on the mound of Yankees? Did, did, no, you when, think Billy, he wants to when hear that? Billy's around, it's like being with a teammate. Yeah, I tell you, you can learn a lot from you too, you. man. Honestly, like from from just talking to you and your your demeanor and the way you do interviews. I, honestly, I, I I've kind of taken after that a little bit. Robin Yacht once said to me, John, you know, on this point, mm. you know, how how did he get to the big leagues? He had to beat out every other A, double A, triple A player. That's how he had to get there. So, I'm. I, I'm not talking to you, first of all, to get what I want from you. Like, uh, like uh, Ralph, um, when you have a moment, I'm not doing it, yeah. right? First of all, it's for kids, John. And watch, my, my, my history also speaks for itself. All these Hall of Famers, all these book sales, exactly. right? The golf tournament, the money goes to the kids. I, I, I'm proud of my product, too. And when I talk to you, I talk to you. So I went up to Robin Yao, and I said, hey, Robin, I wanted to drop this off to you. Um, and I gave him before the glory. And I said, I am only asking you read one page. And if it sucks tomorrow, right, say to me, I read one page and it sucked. But if, if, if you don't say that to me tomorrow, I'm going to ask you sometime in Arizona in the off season, or when you're in a town for four days, I'd like to do with you what I did with all those other Hall of Famers. Yeah. The next day, he respected that I, I was real. I was genuine. And I said, did it, I'm just asking, did you read a page and did it suck? And he goes, I love it. You're going for it. You got me. <laughs> no, that was awesome. it. That was it. Of course he did, Billy. <laughs> so yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have heard it any other way. I mean, and, the, the guy, the guy that does that, and like you know, doesn't take the time and tells you that it sucks is a complete hassle. <laughs> three, three out of every four interviews. You know where they come from? A guy like Ralph saying he's okay. Yeah. And we're, baseball, baseball is a real small world. Yeah. Remember Especially, you showed up this summer. Yeah. <laughs> And I go, what did I say? D'Angelo Jimenez. I go over to him. I go, Jorge Vasquez. I yep. go, hey, let's talk to my friend. And they I were great. Say anything. It's a, that, and that's that's what you try to build. Re respect. You wanted respect on the mound as a pitcher. You want respect now as a pitching coach. I want Remember how hot it was in there? They, were oh. done. they still did it. I said yeah. to them, this is my friend. Take care of this. No, and they awesome. treated me great. Yeah, that's great, it's man. A, it's a great world to, to get older and to earn your stripes. And you're younger than the both of us, and what are you doing? Why, why is Ralph on your show? Say it. Why is he on your show today? Well, you called me on the phone. I, I respect you. you. And you respect me. How, and many you set, Johns, you know, how many Johns call me because of my, my phone? How many guys are on my phone? A lot, probably. A lot, yeah. <laughs> you're earning your stripes. No, exactly, man. And I'm going to continue to, to earn it, man. You know, the unfortunate thing about it, and it might become a burden to you sometime, but you're you're not gonna you're not gonna hear enough from me. <laughs> I'm just gonna. I, I met you. I said it. You know what I said? No, no. I mean, it's just gonna it's gonna annoy you till you till you finally yeah, come no. around. No, I know what annoying is. Yeah. Right? He knows what annoying is. We call them green flies. Yeah. In our world, annoying means you're a green fly. <laughs> and it's not hard to figure out what a green fly is when you think about horses and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So you annoying me is not green fly annoying me. Ralph, what are green flies to you? <laughs> you go the other way. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, listen, we got to wrap things up, man. Uh, I just want to thank you both for having some time today. I want to thank all the listeners. Uh, once again, Pass Ball Show, MTR Radio Networks, John Pielli. 
um, you know, Ralph Citarella, Billy Staples. You know, hopefully we can set something up in the future, have you guys back on the program. But um, thanks a lot. And to all the listeners, you got a good programming of MTR Radio tonight. I believe there's going to be uh, Bill Zeltman's uh, lineup today, which will include MTR Sports Report, Philly Baseball Beat, and perhaps Italian Hour, It's Your Money, stuff like that. So stay tuned in to the MTR Radio Network. Once again, you can check out John Pielli and the Passball Show next week, Thursday, from 5 to 7 p.m. So thanks a lot. We'll catch you next week. Jumpy Ellie's basketball show. Hosted by a guy called Jumpy Ellie.